Be intentional with who you are. Don't stereotype. Look for the individual. And say, I see something in you. Notice what you notice about people. These are some of the messages that come out from my guest today, Judy Kratz. She talks about the world of DEI, diversity and inclusion, really looking at how we bring that equality to life for people. So listen out for the messages that you can take away from Judy. She's full of useful information. You can find out more at nextpivotpoint.com. But I want you really to go away with how can you be more of an ally to people as you build your business, as you build your life? And actually, how do you find the human side that really makes a difference for people longer term? Because overall, that's what will make your purpose come alive. Enjoy the show. Once again, let me know what you think of it. I'd love your feedback. And if you need to contact me, it's phil at igniumconsult.com. So welcome back to the Sparked by Ignium podcast. Today, I'm joined by Julie Kratz again to talk about allyship, to talk about diversity and inclusion. Uh, Julie was on the podcast a few episodes back and we talked about lots of different things. And I realized I was just a beginner. I needed to know more. So I've invited Julie back and she's willingly accepted to be the guest again to go a bit deeper into this world of allyship and how we can really develop our um, appreciation of other people. So Julie, welcome to the show again. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to dig in, go a little deeper into the ally swimming pool. <laughs> yeah. And actually, do you know, that swimming pool is an interesting one because we did, I think we used that metaphor last time in terms of, you know, dipping your toe in the water. And I think for me, what I've realized is I was only just dipping my toe in the water. And, and you know, since then, you and I have recorded a podcast to go out on your series on Next Pivot Point podcast. Um, and I appreciate that in terms of having the chance to talk about it. And when we talk, it was just a, you were asking me questions and just asking me those questions as a white person sitting in, in the UK about you know, my experience. But it really brought up some things for me that I don't know what I need to know. So yeah. the question was, what more do I need to know, I guess? It's a bit of an open-ended <laughs> conversation, but it's that deep dive into things is where I was hoping we could go with this conversation. Yeah, today. yeah, and no, I appreciate that question. I mean, I think fundamentally, you know, listeners, if you haven't listened to part one, you know, just to kind of get you up to speed, um, we talk about allyship as being there for somebody different than you. I mean, most simply put, and people can have their own nuances. You know, I don't own the diversity dictionary, so I never tell people, you know, this is what an ally does. This was an what an ally doesn't do, but essentially just think about somebody different than you, you know, someone with a dimension of difference, like race or gender, mm. uh, sexual orientation, um, disability, um, age, socioeconomic status, you know, geography, the list goes on. There's so many dimensions of diversity, not just the visible ones that I think we gravitate towards. So if you were to take it deeper and think, you know, how can I be there for somebody different than me when I don't understand the lived experiences they probably had? I think that's the big question mark that people are having, especially Phil, as we're returning to the office or, you know, people are dealing with openly dealing with mental health issues, you know, personally and professionally. And there was a study here recently that two thirds of workers are, are reeling with mental health issues yeah. in the workplace here. I believe it was a U.S. study, but I'm sure that's a global problem. Yeah. And it probably looks and feels different culturally, but all that to say, you know, we're got, we've gone through a lot. These <laughs> yeah, last 18 have. months have been a lot. And it underscores the need for inclusion in the workplace because you also have this great resignation happening at the same time where people are leaving employers, you know, without necessarily a next employer because they just have had enough and they realize that their sanity and their health is more important than a job. 
Um, and so I think there's just all these macro factors that play at the very same time that we're still dealing with racial unrest. Um, we're still dealing with women leaving the workforce. So all of this, this conversation is so timely to think, yeah. how do we show up for people that yeah. are different than us? And, and I think that thing about how do you show up for people who are different and you listed off a whole load of, um, of different differences between you know, race, gender, disability, age, socioeconomic, um, amongst lots of other things. I think this is the thing, it's about how do we build this inclusion? Uh, and, and you and I have talked about, you know, our daughters in terms of, you know, their view on the world is very different to ours, that they, they take it in their stride, but not all do. And I think that's part of it as well as, you know, we, we, can, we can look at it from one angle, but there's other people out there who don't see it in the same way. Uh, and I think you mentioned about two thirds of workers are suffering from some mental health issue. I, I don't know if I heard you correctly, but I think there's an awful lot of non-workers are suffering as well, the children as well that are out there who have been impacted by the pandemic and it's helped them or, or enabled them to go inside themselves more, but also living in whatever community they're in with a small subset of people for such a long period of time actually brings out a whole load of other issues that we just need to be aware of and support. And I think that's a big issue that I, I think from an inclusion point of view, we just need to reach out to bring those people in and say, we're listening. We care. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it can be that simple. And I think in workplaces, like we spend our time for, with leaders, especially I care about you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> How often do you say that in your day? I care yeah. about you. And it doesn't have to be creepy or like intrusive to say you care about somebody as a human being. Yeah. And I think we, we think intrinsically like, Oh, well, people know I care, but like, how do they know? Yeah. Um, especially since they may not be able to see you as much, they may not be able to be in contact with you as much, you know, physical proximity. Um, and so caring about somebody and saying, I care about you, how are you doing? And like really listening to the answer to that question. Yeah. And I think that underscores one of the huge traits of allies is being empathetic, empathizing yeah. with someone's lived experiences, even though you haven't experienced that. Yeah. And really you know, if you're dealing with like a mental health issue or something that's like really hard and it's obviously going to show up in the workplace, you can't compartmentalize that. You never could, but yeah, absolutely can't anymore. You know, you don't want somebody to rescue you. Mm. You don't want somebody to tell you, oh, I struggle with that too. And here's what I did. You know, you don't want somebody to be like, oh, poor you. And I feel yeah, sorry yeah. for you. No one wants any of those things. Right? What yeah. people really genuinely want is to be heard they want to be listened to and they want to feel like you see them as a full human being. Yeah. And, and that's where we're at in the workforce right now. I mean, that's where we're at with leaders showing up and, and not just, you know, throwing money at people or benefits at people. Those are of course, yeah. you know, table stakes, but what's really a difference maker is like, I feel like my workplace, like I can really bring my full self. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that that, that bringing your full self is part of it. And I think, you know, a lot of the work we do in Ignium is, is very much around helping people reconnect back to their purpose as yeah. organizations. And, and, you know, I often use the word glibly, you know, purpose above and beyond making money. But the key is actually the purpose is what, how do you engage people? How do you, whether it's about the environment, whether it's about society in general, or whether it's about, you know, transforming lives in some small way, whatever that way is. Yeah. But I think it's when you do that and you can get people to appreciate that they're part of something, they can be on that bus willingly, as Jim Collins used to say. Mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned, you know, people want to be heard and listened to. I think, I think the bit that follows on from that, which is the empathy piece, is around they want to be appreciated. Mm -hmm. They want to be appreciated for who they are and what they can bring, irrespective mm -hmm. of all those other factors that make them different. Yep. 
but also they want to be celebrated for those things that make them different. And, and the story I've got around this, um, a, a friend of mine, their son has just started university. So university in the UK starts September, October time. He just started um, at a university in the UK. I won't say any more than that. Um, but he struggled over the last few years. He struggled because he is different. Um, because he is, he's actually on the spectrum, but you know, in terms of his autism, um, and it comes out in different ways. He struggled at school because it wasn't noticed. He struggled because the doctors didn't understand him, the teachers didn't understand him, and he's gone to gone to university to study a sign, a, a computer sciences type of subject. And I think he's going to shine because of it, because he can now do what he's doing. But actually, he struggled into his first flight. He's now living away from home. His mum, I know, is worried about him because of this. But I think he'll do really well overall when people start to appreciate him for who he is and stop labelling him as this thing because of this is what's wrong with him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, people want to be seen as full people. It's not just the dimension of which I'm different. I'm labelled for and therefore treated accordingly. There's yeah. so much more depth to somebody, you know, someone who's yeah. gay isn't like the token gay person, the, the black person, you know, isn't like the black person. Like there's so much more to them. Yeah. You know, I think for those of us, you know, you and I identify a lot in the majority group by, you know, race, you know, being white and straight and, and cisgender and um, having all of these dimensions, you know, an able-bodied that, yeah. you know, wouldn't it be crazy? Like, cra- not, I, that's not a word I use anymore. Uh, wouldn't it be strange <laughs> if someone like it, it, approached us as like, oh, you're the white person. So wait yeah. on this. <laughs> you're the yeah. straight person or able-bodied person. You know, sometimes when we flip it in our minds, I think it's a really powerful tool to flip it, to test it. And it, mm-hmm. it, I got this from Kristen Pressner and her TED talk, flip it to test it. It's a great tool. You can do this with almost any dimension of diversity to say, hey, if you flip that around, somebody that was not in the minority group, but that still makes sense. Um, And it's really powerful with male-female communication. You know, we'll say things to women like, oh, I know, you know, you're a mother, you probably don't want to travel right now. Or like, oh, you're too aggressive. You know, all these things that we tell women, it's like, okay, flip that. Would it make sense to say that same thing to a man? If it doesn't. You know, you can do better. <laughs> That's interesting. So, so tell me what I, I love this because you know one of the things we want to do is a deep dive into how we can all become more empathetic and and build better allyship with people we know. But I, I love that in terms of flip it to test it. So what I'm hearing there is um, taking the things we might say, which might be pejorative about a woman or yep. a gay person or a black person, and flipping that back and say, how would that apply if you were addressing that to? I would use the word typically a white male. Yeah. And yeah. see would that word still, that phrase still stack up. And if yeah. it doesn't, actually, you need to just be questioning, why are you saying it? Exactly. It's super helpful, I think, um, because we're at a, you know, a stage, I think, where people, especially if you notice odd behavior, non-inclusive behavior from a coworker, a teammate, or even a client, you know, that's even harder. How do you call someone in to the conversation versus, you know, if we call them out, there's the shame and blame that comes with that. And that's not usually going to arrive at positive change. Yeah. Sometimes it can actually um, really reinforce the bad behavior or create excuses for it. So the flip it to test it, you know, not only works for you to kind of check yourself, yeah. but it also works with peer communication or communication with your team to say, Hey, just out of curiosity, you know, I noticed when you said this, right. I heard you say that. Um, would you think you would still say that if that was a man or a straight person or, you know, a white person, 
Um, or even it works the other way. It can go either yeah. way um, yeah. with marginalized or majority groups. Yeah. But just if you, if you kind of put that pressure test on it, almost always the other person, I've done this a few times, like, but that still makes sense if you said that to a man and they'll be like, oh, and you, yeah. you kind of take a step back. You got to wait a few seconds, right? You don't want to like jump on them. Self-discovery is always the best tool to help yeah, some, bring yeah. someone into the allied journey. But oftentimes I'll kind of take a breath, think a little bit, wait a few seconds. And I'm like, oh, I didn't mean it like that. Yeah. Oh, did, is that the way it came out? Oh no, here's how great I am, you know? <laughs> and that's fine if somebody kind of takes a moment to process it, but almost always there's a self-awareness and people don't want to make that mistake again. No, but and, and into you right point there, I think, you know, a lot of people, and I guess when I say we, I, I always put my coaching hat on and I always say, you know, when someone says a lot of people, they're probably meaning me. So when I say, when I hear this, hear me, a lot of people I've come across are, are nervous of having this conversation because they don't want to offend people, but they don't know what to say. So what I've just heard you say, though, is flip it to test it and, and actually just call someone in is what you said rather than out to say, did you notice how that that wording comes across to someone? But sometimes people are either afraid to call them in on it or call them out on it either way because of repercussions. But also, I think um, there's a tendency as well for someone to to listen intently to the words used and take that person as being racist or sexist or um, ageist or whatever the other word is and accuse them of it. But how can we develop more of a, uh, an approach where we can actually start educating people? Because I think some people are they don't know what to say me when i say that sure. what do you say how yeah, do you well, bring it out this is where i spend like 90 percent of my time with clients and training is yeah what do you say when things go haywire right what yeah. do you say because most of us instinctively freeze right and and if you don't say something it's the same as saying it's okay you're you're accepting yeah. i personally think where we're at right now with diversity inclusion is the status quo is being challenged and you know, like with any change, any cultural change, people want to protect the status quo because the status quo worked for them or kept them gainfully employed, you know, whatever. And so the absence of the status quo or changes mean fear of the unknown. Mm. Um, and so a lot of us instinctively protect the status quo because we feel safer when in reality, you know, you and I on the sidelines of companies seeing innovation and growth, it's, it's the companies and leaders that are willing to forgo the status quo and an expectation of something better yeah, and innovate and create and stay with market trends and yeah. stay relevant yeah. to consumer bases that really win. But that status quo protection is very human. Yeah. So yeah. I think part of disrupting the status quo is having this conversation and not just having the conversation at the, you know, big company meeting or, you know, the one and done, whatever training it really is embedding this into your culture of yeah. we want to be an inclusive place where everyone feels like they can bring their full self to work. That is our expectation. So if we see behavior that's non-inclusive, yeah. this is how we might approach people. Yeah. And one of the um, other tools I, I was just looking up um, to quote it properly. Um, I love, I just listened to this Ted talk, an ally of mine just shared this with me, Loretta J. Ross, don't call people out, call them in. And I just love it. It's a fantastic talk. Um, she's been in social justice work here in the U.S. for like 30 some years. And so she's dealt with some real hairy situations. And she just shares that, you know, when people say something, 
it usually is from a place of a lack of awareness, yeah. a lack of education, a lack of lived experience. They just don't have the context, right? So they're not meaning to be like overtly racist or sexist, almost always, you know, assume positive intention of the person. They're not out to get you. And, and I think that's the key, isn't it? They're not out to get you. I think it's trying to, it's that positive intention because the majority yeah. of people, and I'll just Google that as you're talking there. So I'm going to, going to make some links. It's to fantastic. That in the, in the it's so now. fantastic. Bill. You'll have, the, the, and save, watch it till the very end. A lot of Ted talks, you know, kind of like tune out at the end. The story at the end is so hilarious. Really? It's so well done. I, I just I love that and I think it's interesting I'm just looking I just found the New York Times article as you're talking there um because there's there's so much in that so I will make a reference to that and I think this thing about um helping people you know the intentions right but how do we then start doing it and I think um from from, from a perspective of business today it's about building the habits in companies so they're willing to do it and yeah and you mentioned about status quo um or status quo would you say status quo i'd say um, <laughs> <laughs> but actually we're saying the same thing exactly and it's about you know the, there's a, there's a quote which i can't remember exactly it's around those who are resistant to change are the ones who've got the most to lose yep and, and i think that's the machiavelli i think it's in the prince by machiavelli from the 14th or 15th century he talks about that and it's actually we're stuck in a ways because if we do change we lose more and i know on our last podcast we talked about some of this you know um not calling out certain world leaders but actually that sometimes happens well they <laughs> stay in power because of that oh yeah the fear mindset fear is a very incredible human emotion and when you tap into people's fear you know they'll take chances on you and when you create that zero-sum game mentality to support it me versus you whereas yeah. you and i know in the inclusion world it's not me versus you. We get bigger together. But if, if you're coming at it from, I'm a white, you know, male. And a lot of white men will tell me this. Like, I feel like diversity is like putting a bet against myself. Or I feel like this is something where I could potentially lose, but I just feel like it's the right thing to do for humans. Yeah. You know, I usually stop them right there and say, why do you think that you have something to lose? Like, what do you think you're going to lose? Hmm. And usually when you put people in the spot, like they're like, well, I don't know, I might not get promoted. You know, they're looking for diverse candidates. I'm not diverse. You know, people like me aren't going to be hired anymore. It's like, do you have evidence to support that? And almost always they're like, well, no, but it's just the yeah. vibe I've been picking. It's like, it's not reality, right? It's like this fantasy we've created because we're yeah. scared. And <laughs> what if we let go of some of that fear? What if we accepted that the other side if it works for more people, it works better for everyone. Yeah. And, and interesting, the note I've just written down as you're talking there is fear versus abundance, scarcity versus abundance. Exactly. You know, if, if we come out of the world from a, from a place of abundance, there's enough to go around. And a lot of the fear that drives this is fear. You know, we talk about fear of losing out, fear of not having what we've, what we've got at the moment. But actually, if you, if you let go of that fear is what you said and remove the zero sum gain, actually, we can start building things together. But mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a tough call because we can talk a good game on that. We can, we can read, pod, read and we can watch TED Talks and we can listen to podcasts on it and people can listen to this. Um, and we've talked before about this in terms of, you know, so what are the practical things can do? So call people in rather than call them out and let, enable the conversation to flow and, 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 and work with people of, diverse, of a diverse mix, diversity, to, to look at what it means to them. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, asking people, you know, what does it mean to you? And interestingly, just, just as an aside, um, I was talking to my coach supervisor, Joe, this morning. Joe, if you're listening to this, you'll recognize this conversation. <laughs> we, we, we were talking this morning about in a, in a coaching conversation, when you're working with someone who's diverse by nature from you, just, uh, just ask the question, what's different about us? 
And how yeah. can we celebrate that and bring it's it good. into it? Because, you know, I have one way of doing it, but, but looking at, okay, what is it you, what would you like to do with that? Mm-hmm. How do we build on it? But you can have that in a coaching conversation because there's a trust element between us already. Yep. So how do we build that into our, in our lives generally? And that's why I come back to your word allyship. So your word allyship, the word yeah. allyship. How do we, how do we do that practically? Yeah. Oh, I love that question. What's different about us and how do we celebrate that? I think that's, yeah. that's just putting it out on the table, right? Cause a lot of times we notice the differences, you feel the tension, yeah. but we're in this dance of like, I don't want to say something offensive, right? I don't want to ask them something true intrusive. You know, I feel that with some of my team that's, you yeah. know, from different parts of the world. I don't, you know, how do you ask someone about like their religion or like, you know, <laughs> it's just awkward sometimes mm-hmm. you want to know, but you don't want to come across like, mm-hmm you don't know anything to yeah. this is dance. Yeah. And I think that's a really good question to ask if you're feeling tension with somebody or you're feeling like you're coming at things from a different place. Yeah. What's different about us. And let's just label that. And let's just talk about that. And how could I better get to know you in a way that's going to be respectful? I think that word respect yeah. that's coming up a lot in my work nowadays. And I think that's something that's table stakes, right? You assume the workplace is going to be respectful of human beings, but obviously if people are saying that word a lot, maybe not so much, right? I think well-intentioned allies will come into a conversation with somebody different, of different race or gender or sexual orientation, you know, list goes on again. We mentioned those earlier, but you'll come into it with a really nice curiosity, but ask a really like problematic question. Like you people, do all you people do things like this? Or is this a blank culture thing? You know, types of statements. And it's like, oh my gosh, you're already marginalized in the workplace. You already feel like the only, a lot of the time. And now someone's just like unfairly labeled you. Pointing it to you. Well, and this is the distinction. This is a really important thing for allies to know is that you never want to apply the label of a group to an individual. So. And when I first heard that, I was like, wow, I was like, my brain had to stretch a little bit. Here's the thing, taking a group of folks, right? Like you could, what do you use with Americans versus, yeah. um, you know, the English yeah. as you are, yeah. Great one. right? Yeah. I could be like, all you English drink tea, right? So Phil, you must drink tea, right? All of no, you say, <laughs> right? Exactly. I could be wrong. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah. an innocent example. That's yeah. innocent. It's unlikely that you were offended by that comment, but what my brain just did was take a big general categorization and a stereotype and just applied that because you live in a certain part of the world. I just applied that stereotype to you personally. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what we do with, you know, different people that live in the middle East, um, people that have different skin colors, people that are in the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. I've saw, I've seen enough of you that do this. Therefore you all must do this. And that's very othering. That's very harmful to someone's individuality. Uh, It's very hurtful. You know, as someone that has a ton of privilege, I have a lot of privileges. The only one I really don't have is being a man. I identify as female. And, you know, it's only happened to me a handful of times where I've been othered. Well, maybe a dozens of times, but not significantly so. To just be like, oh, I'm the only woman. So that's why they said that to me. Like, yeah. oh, you must not like sports, Julie, or you don't like beer. You know, it's just innocent things. Yeah. But you know, when you're hanging in a social setting with a bunch of guys, you do feel like an outsider and you do feel like you don't have as much to contribute. So yeah, I've only felt it a handful of times versus, you know, if my skin color was different or my sexual orientation, yeah. I'm sure I would have felt it a plethora more times. 
But as allies, empathize with that. If that person's likely to have been misunderstood, um, mislabeled, stereotyped on a regular basis, yeah. how can you be curious in a respectful way? That's a, so that's an interesting one, isn't that curious and respectful way? And I think just backing up slightly, I think the, the bit I'm taking that is, you know, everyone's individual and therefore we can't label a group and say everyone in that group is the same. As you, you know, the, the, the typical, the English versus the Americans or, or the, the English versus the French, because we all use that stereotypical language. But what I'm hearing is this, we need to, we need to call it out and say, no, not everyone's like that. Not everyone's like that. Everyone is individual. Um, and, and I think the, the problem I see with a lot is, you know, the, the human mind, we are programmed to generalize, to distort and to delete. We, we, we take out what we don't want to see. We generalize and we, we, we take out and distort the truth to fit our own map of the world. And I think there's a big thing in there in terms of how do we stop ourselves doing that? Um, and it becomes like this word habits again, doesn't it? Because if we've been in the habit of doing it for so long, you talked about, you know, the men talking about sport or the men talking about women not drinking beer. Hey, that's not a problem, by the way. But I think actually it is just a stereotypical view of the world, which we need to change. And if we're stereotyping it there, where else are we staying? Because I, I, a good friend of mine who I used to work with used to say, um, how you do anything is how you do everything. And if you call it out in one way, actually, what's the impact in another area of your life as well? Well, and that's so good. And I think that that's a perfect segue to the other trend I'm seeing with allyship is, what was that quote again? How you do one thing. How you, how you do anything is how you do everything. Yes. I love that. The English are so much better with words than Americans. <laughs> so I just made an assumption. Your friend was English. <laughs> it, and it, probably, it probably came from an American. It's just been distorted to fit what we need. That's funny. That's funny. Well, I love that quote because it goes along with what I'm seeing in my research. And I'm, I'm actually starting to write a new book and, and research this topic is how to be an ally at home. Because to your point, you know, how you show up at work, it's, I mean, it never was, you know, distinct yeah. and different, even when we had separation of, you know, an office and a home. Now that a lot of us are working virtually or at least hybrid, you know, most of us yeah. have had that experience over the last year, maybe not, you know, frontline workers necessarily, but most of us have had some sort of hybrid experience yeah. and probably will. I mean, most companies are saying like, you know, two, three day work weeks, whatever that is, you know, it's probably hybrids the future. Yeah. Anyway, all that to say, how you show up at home, how you yeah. show up at work, yeah. right? How you show up at home is very much going to translate to how you show up at work and vice versa. So a lot of times we've approached allyship through the lens of the workplace, how to be there for somebody different at work. But in, you know, with your daughters, they've provided a tremendous window yeah. into dimensions yeah. of difference for you. And I do find that with a lot of allies that are further along on the journey. And I'd give you credit, Phil. I don't think you're a beginner anymore. I think you're in the intermediate. <laughs> you've taught me well. You're, you're taking off the uh, swim floats and you're, <laughs> you're getting, you're getting under the water. But it's really like, how do I do this in a way that's, that's consistent with who I am as a human being? And, and I think that says a lot of things like one, I'm not having to like pull out this toolkit and like be this robotic, like ask this question and show this thing at work which never would, you know, come off genuinely mm. and authentically. But I think a lot of leadership training, you know, for lack of a better experience has led to that robotic, use this yeah. tool, do this thing. And then you go home and you behave completely inconsistently with that or vice yeah. versa. You can be wonderful at home and be an a-hole at work. Like yeah. 
it, it really never was different, those spheres of our life, but now for sure they're yeah. tethered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, how do we do it at home? Yeah. Great point. And I think it's interesting, isn't it? You know, in, in, in a marriage or a partnership or just being together with other people, actually, yes, you know, how we show up in a game, how we do anything is how we do everything. Um, because, you know, there's, there's been quotes in the press in the UK in the last 15, 20 years or so, you know, about certain people who, who behave a certain way out of work and then in work, they're a different thing. And the behavior out of work is illegal. And that's one extreme. But I think in some ways that, that thing is, you know, we've all, we've all put up and endured this last 18, 19 months of being at home in different ways. Um, the hybrid working is there. And I think we can learn from that. But I think the, the key point I'm taking from you there as well is um, really bring that individualization out, looking at who's around you, looking in your community as well, because we all live in some form of community, whatever that looks like, but actually just noticing the difference and appreciating it on a social level rather than just a business level. I think you could then start do doing things with that as well. And also maybe from an allyship point of view, noticing those people who might be marginalized because of their color, because of their sexuality, because of their sex, and just stepping into their shoes a bit. Well, that's back to empathy, right? Yeah. And, and empathy is so much of the start of the ally journey. You know, to do the hard things, you're going to have to empathize with people that are different than you, that you haven't had their lived experiences. And so you can't put on their shoes, but you can try on their perspective. So how could you try yeah. on the perspective? And a lot of that is, you know, a lot of self-education. There's tons of books, podcasts, you know, wonderful resources out there, but take a stock of your network. You know, uh, one of the things that's really impactful is think about the people that you spend a lot of time with. So in a workshop, a lot of times I'll have people pull out their phones and say, yeah. Hey, look through your text messages, your call log, your emails, you know, however you communicate with people, Yeah. who are you communicating with most of the time? And regrettably, pe most people will say, you know, about 80% of the people on those call logs, those email logs, those text messages are people like me, mm. right? That could be parental status, socioeconomic status, race, gender, you know, list yeah. goes on. But, you know, for me, that was very revealing five, six years ago when I took an inventory of my personal and professional network, who am I spending most of my time with? It was a lot of women business owners that were mothers and same age. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and I think about that a lot, Phil is like, wow, I could have been a lot better, but I wasn't, I had to be really intentional with bringing in other folks into my network and building bridges and relationships to more people of color, um, to women that didn't have children to the LGBTQ plus community. I'm really thankful. I still have a ton of work to do, but I am thankful when I look through my network it feels drastically different than it did just those six, seven years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it takes time and I it takes that's, patience. And yeah. that's why people don't do these things because they think they're hard or they think it's going to be a lot of extra work. And again, you can just go through life with the status quo and it's easier. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and, and I think there's, there's a couple of things in there, I think. Um, so I, I'm, I would do it. If I would look to my, my, my cool history, my WhatsApp, my Facebook group, you're right. It's all people like me in some way or another. Um, so actually trying to be diverse in your way of, is a key bit there. And um, the thought that comes to my mind is, um, it's how do you tap into those channels? How do you find those ways of doing it? Because I think because we've always done it this way, we're always likely to do it that way until something confronts us and say, you need to do it differently. Uh, and, and it's the typical thing until, you know, we can talk about carrots and sticks in terms of incentivization of people. Um, and it's a bit like um, a bit like getting old, I think, in some ways that, we all probably know, well, for always, we know we're going to, we're going to get old. 
but also we all know that we should do more exercise. We should eat less sugary foods. We should eat less carbs. Um, but often we don't do about it until, until we're told to do it because there's an extreme health risk. And then by that time, we'll probably turn around and say, do you know what, it's got me this far, I can't be bothered to change. So maybe that's a flippant example, but I think there's almost a case of saying, okay, we need to be intentional about this. You need to have this view to say, I'm looking to the future and saying, what is it I need to do differently? Oh, for sure. Now, proactively. And you use, that, you use that word intentional. And I think for me, that's the key bit that comes out of it. How do I intentionally change the way I am today to benefit me and others in the future? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of intention. And I think the biggest tool that I can offer for listeners is to really think about your why. We know that we're far more motivated by emotion than rational thought. I mean, use the example about health. You know, I, it's a year, I had a baby just a year ago and I kept telling myself, I'm going to lose the baby weight. I'm going to lose the baby weight. Right, right. You know, status quo, status quo, status quo. Like keep doing the same thing, expecting different results. But, you know, it was sitting down with a health coach and sitting down with a nurse practitioner that they're like, you need to make these major modifications in your diet. And I was like, and the first time I heard it, I was like, Ugh. second time I heard it, I was like, oh, third time I heard it, I was like, okay, I got to do something. Yeah. And it took pain for me to change. And for human beings, it does take pain for yeah. us to change. I want something I'm not getting. So I have clients do that exercise and really put pen to paper and think about why does diversity and inclusion matter to you? Like really, I mean, really think about it. Like yeah. there's lots of you know business case studies. And if that's what gets you out of bed in the morning money, have at it. You're going to be, I think at a core innovation data, decision-making data, the profitability and revenue data, which I could you know, give you all day. Yeah. It really highlights that you're more relevant to your customers. So from a business perspective, you're mirroring your customer. You're, you're just more relevant, which means like you're going to last longer yeah. than your competition, yeah. hopefully. But from a human case perspective, which I find way more compelling and way more energizing around the ally. Why? What is your human case? And yep. you have daughters, right? I have daughters. Like, just think isolate gender and think we're we're centuries away from gender equality. Like that's pretty crappy. Yeah. Let's be yeah. a part of positive change. So for anyone yeah. that has a daughter, you know, a, a kid that's LGBTQ, you know, you talked about several kids coming out uh, in the high school and mm -hmm. recently that you know friends of. That's a gateway. Like a gateway's just been opened up to your allyship journey to get curious and help other people. Yeah. through that empathetic lens of knowing somebody that's experiencing probably some adversity as a result yeah. of their diversity dimension. Yeah. So yeah. really tapping into the human case, like yeah. why? And once I, you have that, just like Simon Sinek says, well, once you have your why, like the what and the how, like that's so easy, but you've yeah. got to start with the why because that's how our brains, our brains are so emotional and we, yeah. we justify things rationally, right? We make decisions emotionally and they're like, oh yeah, by the way, it's that business case, right? <laughs> No, it isn't. Yeah. It's really yeah. a human case usually. And, and I love that because that, you know, that, that emotional point comes really hard to me in the sense of, you know, so hitting home hard to say, um, because I think we all know that. And I love you, love the fact you use that phrase, you know, we justify intellectually, we make decision emotionally because that is so true, isn't it? And every buying decision, but actually it's that emotional side. So from a, from a business perspective, you know, we can look at the, the reasons to change and, you know, more relevant to the customers, make more money long-term, do better, but actually, it's the, the choice around the human side, which is the real drive that we need to tap into, because that's the authentic piece. That's the piece that says, I'm doing this for the real reasons. And I'll get the, I'll get the end result, 
you know, I always say again, culture versus commercial. I could work on a business commercially and just up, increase revenue, decrease profit, make more money. But actually, I know the lasting change can come to work on the cultural side of the business because that will give you the biggest bang for the buck. And that starts with why, as Simon Sinek said, get that, get that right. And the what and the how just start to un unravel around that. Um, and I think in some ways, it comes back, there's, there's two things there for me, partly linked to purpose, but also, you know, Jim Collins back in his book in 1998, whatever it was, good to great, said, you know, those businesses that, that really succeeded were the ones that had the big, hairy, audacious goal. So I'm almost throwing that out to listeners to say, how do you create a big, hairy, audacious goal about being the best, the biggest, the best at it in terms of diversity? Because I think that could make a biggest difference for the world if we all just had that big, hairy, audacious goal to change the world in some small way from our point of view. What a way to drive your business as a why. Well, and it's funny you say that, Phil, because most people, when I, I dig in and I usually ask a few you know, cascading questions to really get people to dig into their why, make it personal to you. Mm. And, you know, people say, I want to help people. Almost always, you know, this work with leaders, like at the end of the day, when you ask people to motivate, I want to help people. People always say that to me nine times out of 10, I want to help people. I'm like, great. What does that mean? Right? <laughs> like, Let's get more specific with how you want to help people. Like, think about your natural gifts. Like, what are the things you're really good at and that you enjoy doing? And if only you could pour that, that skill set, that motivation into someone else, what would that look like? Yeah. You know, it, it's digging a little bit deeper and thinking about the why and also the match for that type of allyship. Because what you don't want to do is just show up to somebody like, Hey, here I am. I'm going to save the day for you. Or like, yeah, Hey, yeah. I just had this epiphany. I'm going to help you. <laughs> that doesn't feel good to the other person. It doesn't feel genuine. It's not sustainable. But what is, is when you really take an inventory of yourself and there's another tool we use is just the good old SWOT analysis. Yeah. Okay. You okay. know, your strengths, what are people always asking for your help on? What are you highly rated on performance reviews? You know, what do people always say about you that you're good at? You have some weaknesses too. So like, you don't need to show up as an ally from your weakness perspective, right? And I think this is where people get stuck too. It's like, oh gosh, this person brought up this hard thing and I don't know how to help them with that. Like time out, I'm scared. It didn't go well. Just focus on your strengths. Like be really openly authentic with somebody. It's like, hey, I think this is really great, especially yeah. for white men that are listening. Like, yeah. hey, I see something in you. Like, you know, somebody that's different than you, a woman, a person of color, whatever. I see something in you. I think you're really awesome at X and really be specific with like leading meetings or confidence yeah. or problem solving, whatever it is, like really wow. specific with them. I see this in you. I really think that, um, I might be helpful, right. As a mentor or you don't even have to be that bold, but just like, I'd love to be supportive of you. Mm. Like, could we meet like, and, and talk about what that could look like? I mean, it really is that simple of a conversation just to put your arm out, signal, I want to be an ally. I want to be here. So, so Julie, part of what you're talking there is, you know, when you're talking about doing a SWOT analysis, and I, I love the bit you said there about, I see something in you, because I think that's a really key part of it. And coming back to the conversation I had with Joe, my supervisor earlier today, how do we connect with somebody so that we, we celebrate the difference? And, and I'm a big fan of the Gallup Strengths Finder in terms of looking at your strengths. And, and if you've not come across it, it looks at the 34 strengths that we have and, and says, these are your top five. Um, and then it looks at all the other sitting below, the other 29 strengths, but it's all about strengths. And, and what I love what you said there is to be openly authentic, we have to come at it from a point of strength. So how do I notice that in you and celebrate it in you, whoever you are and say, this is what I notice. 
And I think that takes, it takes change. It takes you to move away from the status quo. Um, and also change takes the chance for you to say, okay, how do I change my way of doing things? So I appreciate this person. It comes back to your point earlier about don't stereotype, don't pigeonhole people as being this, that, or the other. Just say, who is Julie? What can I learn from her sitting in front of me? What can I learn from this person sitting in front of yeah. me? That they've got that I need to learn. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And it's key. And you come up, you mentioned a few, you know, strengths finder, great tool, growth mindset also yeah, applies yeah. here. Um, a lot of the tools that are already sitting on your leadership shelf are really helpful to facilitate inclusion. So we don't have to reinvent yeah. these concepts they are already alive and well, yeah. they already work so well. And so it, it really does come back to emotional intelligence, self-awareness, like all of these gifts that some leaders have or that other leaders can learn um, to be inclusive because at the end of the day, you're going to get more out of your team. We just know that like, that's the win. You get more out of your team. You get people that are motivated that are unlikely to leave by circumstances you can probably control and influence, which is usually you as the managers, number one reasons people leave. And they show up in a way where they're generating ideas, solving problems, more productive and higher quality. All of these outcomes are highly consistent with inclusive leaders. So yeah. it doesn't have to be this whole new initiative. Like it really is when you embed this into your culture and make these tools and concepts well available that, yeah. you know, you start to see like really positive momentum yeah. and it starts to spread too. Yeah. the more allies you create, you know, the more people jumping into the swimming pool, much like you are, Phil, the more people are going to jump in and be like, all right, it's safe for me too. I love that. I love that. And I think yeah, we, we're coming to our, the end of our time now. And you've just, you've made me think of a quote, which I've actually, um, I, I, I had this on my, on my desk to talk to you about. And I think it's really interesting is what you just said there. And it's a quote from Aristotle. So it's, you know, it's from, it's from 384 BC. So it's been going around for years. And, and some people say Aristotle didn't say it, but my belief is let's stick with the fact. And he said, <laughs> Excellence is an art won by training and habituation. We do not act rightly because we have virtue or excellence, but we rather have those because we acted rightly. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Mm-hmm. And, and if I take that into what we're saying here is being excellent as an ally is about making it a habit. And mm-hmm. we all know that habits take time to form. And we all know it's really tough in the beginning to break that habit. If I'm a tea drinker as an English person, I would become more like an American drinking lattes with sweeteners in. Hey, so, so what about my latte? Yeah, my daughter <laughs> likes the sweeteners as well. But how do I break the habit? And I've got to start right. doing it regularly. I've got to do it, do it, do it. And eventually I'll look back and say, I can't believe I ever drunk tea. That was something I did in the past. I now am a latte drinker. Mm-hmm. Extreme. But actually, that's the point. Same concept. Yeah. 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 And and I think that's why, you know, if I, if I think about trends for next year and beyond with workplace inclusion, I think it is bite-sized learning, habit uh, change, supporting habits, becoming more inclusive and supplying information to people, meeting them where they're at on their journey with tailored content that really helps them move forward because it, it's really that first month or two, yeah. you know, and, and so often companies have done the one and done training to check the box. And that's exactly how employees and leaders feel like, mm. okay, I did that unconscious bias thing, or I know sexual harassment's bad. It's like, Ooh, Sick. 
you know, and, and what a negative thing to start with, by the way, like what if we started with a positive thing and then built from there? Yeah. So I really think that's, that's how we'll learn is meeting people where they're at, supplying with tools and information habitually over time yeah. to borrow your word, Phil, yeah. but it is, it's just like anything else. It's a habit change. It's just like yeah. getting healthy and losing weight. It's the same kind of thing. You just got to do it. And, and I love that. And I love your trends for 2022. I might book you in for a podcast at the beginning of 22 to 20 to 22 to look further back. Cause I love what you said there, bite-sized training, fully inclusion, tailored content. Um, so, so this is what you do. Just tell me again where people can find you when they want to find out more about being an ally and what you do. Yeah, yeah. We, we actually have a new DEI self-paced virtual program because everyone's Zoom fatigued. Yeah. <laughs> don't want to just sit in a couple hours session anymore. Uh, our in-person days, who knows when those will happen. So we have a new virtual program that goes through your ally why and your plan. And helps wow. So we're excited about that. But nextpivotpoint.com. Um, from there, yeah, you can check out, we have a plethora of free videos. We have our podcast. We have a ton of blogs, information, um, all free, a great resources list to get you on your journey. So check that out. And our lead like an ally online virtual self-paced program is available for individuals and for teams and for organizations. So we're actively having conversations about 2022, 2022 and how to really create those habits for inclusion. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. Judy Kratz, thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk to you yet again. I've highlighted a whole load of things there that, that people need to be doing. And I'm just going to sum those up before we finish in that case, because I think these are really key. And I've I've just heard half of what you said in terms of written down, but I've talked about here about um, just in no particular order, don't call people out, call them in, uh, never label people as a group, but just think about the individual, um, get away from the stereotyping, um, my phrase about how we do anything is how we do everything. Therefore, be aware of the way you show up and do things. Um, I've also circled the word beginner's mind. I think there's a big thing in that, which we didn't talk about, but it just struck me as we just need to have that beginner's mind as how do I show up differently? Um, think about how we, who we're communicating with. Think about you know going through my, my Facebook logs, my WhatsApp group and see who else out there. Being intentional around that. What's your why? Um, away from versus toward motivation to doing things. Think about your natural gifts, think about strengths. So we just covered so many different things, and that's just a, a, a list there. So actually, there's a there's a 50 minutes of fact-packed information here. <laughs> well summed up. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and um, I look forward to continuing the conversation as we go on. Thank you, Julie Kratz. Thank you, Phil. It's great to be with you. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I've enjoyed recording it. This is just one of the great conversations I've had the privilege of being part of since I started recording the Sparks Bagnian podcast. So please go back and listen to some of the others. There's some great content in there, some great contributors. And also, while you're at it, please leave a review of this show with your comments because that helps other people like you find this content. And we want to bring about the change that we really know matters to people. It helps us grow. And also, think about what actions you want to take there's no point just listening passively we want you to pick it up and do something with it so what are the three key things you want to do i can't hold you accountable but if you want to drop me a note phil at igniumconsult.com we're always keen to listen to what you have to say and actually introduce guests to us that you think will bring relevance to other people we wish you well give us a call let us know what you think give us a review thank you